Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. So this morning, uh, we're going to get into the second part of The Rain is Coming. And uh, as we do together, uh, you know, last time we talked a little bit about the pain and the hope uh, which set the stage of the reign of Christ. And today we're looking at the truth and the hope and so of the coming Christ. So, so many people have different perspectives in life. Isn't that true? Everybody has kind of a different views of things. And, and, and yet we need to keep our, our wits about us and consider the word of God as the word of God speaks to us. We want to make sure that we allow God's word to speak into our lives and so it helps us to understand the, the truth that was set before us and also the hope that sets before us too. I don't know if you've ever had somebody tell the story and you thought to yourself, that isn't true, I was there. And so you've you got to watch them, right? And so maybe that particular person's that way. And so, or or you, may, may, you may wonder uh, if there's more to the story they're telling. Maybe they're not telling all of it. Uh, and so um, and many of us have wondered at times. And so, so let's consider a fun story today. So, so you have a guy, and this guy is strolling down the boulevard, right? Topeka, Southwest Topeka Boulevard, right? They're, they're strolling down, and they get up to like 12th Street. They're just relaxing. And the first thing they see there at 12th Street, and they see the, the new health building, right? Whatever it is, the state's building that, that building there. And so they get to that, and they, and they see it, and they're like, oh, they look at that. And they said, well, that's interesting, building up something new. And then, and then they keep walking, and they, they walk to the, to the next main block, right? And, and, they see, and then they see what's left of the docking building, right? There used to be a high-rise building, and now it's a low-rise building. <laughs> and so, and they look at that, and they see that, and you know, if if they're, uh, 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 they may make some assumptions out of that. They may assume to themselves that they don't know construction very well. They may assume that, well, hey, they're just tearing the one building down, and they're taking all those materials and moving them down the street, and they're building the next one up, right? And so, just as easy as that, right? Well, we we've heard rumors that some of that goes into the trash, and some of it is is, is reused, right? But it's not quite the thing that's happened there. Uh, and so the, the, the assumption of that person would, would be incorrect, right? It doesn't go down in one place and come back up in another place. And, and so they, that, that person needs to base their views uh, on the truth, right? And that's the thing for us. We have to base our, uh, our views on the truth. And today, uh, we need to keep our mindset on the truth of the Word of God. The Word of God is truth. And so we need to base what we believe about the gospel and about the Lord on the truth. And I'm, I'm talking again about the, the rain is coming. And the Messiah is on the rise as we welcome Christmas, right? He's, we know that uh, before this uh, special uh, event takes place, he, he, he's, a, he's arriving. God has uh, prophesied that he set things up to work. And so the first thing we need to look at this morning uh, is the truth. And so let's look at the truth for just a moment. I'm going to take you through a, a few places here in the, in the old co covenant and the new covenant. And, and the first one is this, this, uh, this title, the son of David. We talk a little bit about that. You may hear it. 
It's it's the, the it's one like David who would arrive and reign. And so David was the king, right? We'll look more about look at him this morning too. But so you have to ask, what kind of man was David? Well, even before you ask that, you, you have to see what the Bible says about who Jesus was. And we start off in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and where it says a few uh, very important words for us. It says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Don't worry, I'm not going to read through all the genealogy unless you want me to. We may be here a little while. Uh, and so I thought... Did you say, did you say yes? Okay, she said no. Okay, all right, just check in there. Uh, but but uh, from this, we realize that Jesus' family line comes from the line of David, at least on Joseph's side, and this is pretty important. And, and he may not have been as biological as we understand his miraculous birth, yet uh, it, it reminds us of this important truth. The fact that the, the, this title, the son of David, was also known at this time to refer to the coming Messiah. It was the one who was going to come, or Christ, right? Christ is kind of the Gentile way of saying that Messiah is more the Jewish way. And Jesus performed signs and wonders and caused people to recognize who he was. And we see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 23, these words. It says, all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? They started recognizing some things of the miraculous works that Jesus did. And this wasn't a one-time question, but it was a question that was asked over and over. And they, they used this title as they recognized him. And this was not just an assumption. It wasn't an assumption. It, it was a reality of who he is. And since the Messiah would follow the reign of David, let's look at David for just a little bit. So let's go back in the Old Testament. We'll look in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. And we find here that David was this man after God's own heart, right? He was a, he was a king before he was a king. He, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was a shepherd boy. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, God told Saul uh, these words. Now, Saul was the, the first king of Israel. He seriously messed up, as we know, and we talked about that a couple uh, a while back, but, but and it says this, But now your kingdom will not endure, speaking to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So he's kind of laying things down for, uh, for a Saul there. And God was referring to David as a man after his own heart because he knew he was the one that he was going to anoint. And he, was, uh, and he was the one he was choosing. And even in the book of Acts, it says this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it looks back onto what took place there. And it says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He, he will do everything I want him to do. And that's a pretty big statement. Could you imagine what that, that was like there, especially for God to say that? If you think about it, when Jesus was at the garden, before his crucifixion, uh, we find uh, he, he prays and he's talking to the Father. Uh, and he said these words, he says, Father, if you, uh, if you are willing, take this cup for me. In other words, I don't want to go to the cross. 
Uh, but then he, he finished it up with this phrase. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to humble himself before the Father. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but yet he was under the Father here in this, and this, and he was willing to follow God the Father's will. And, and we can call this obedience because that's what it was. And, and doing what God the Father asked of Jesus is what Jesus did. He did what the Father wanted him to do. And we see this is the kind of thing that God wants. He wants people who are willing. Now, if, if you, maybe in the spirit of football, right, it's football season kind of still, and we're coming down to the wire, and maybe, maybe you're familiar with some of the, the football players in times past and some of those current, and uh, it can be, this is one of those challenges that they face. Uh, Roger Staubach was a, one of the uh, Dallas Cowboy, uh, Dallas Cowboy uh, uh, quarterbacks, and you know, I don't think much about Dallas Cowboys. Sorry, guys that like him, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, you got to be a Chiefs fan. But anyway, <laughs> and I got an amen on that. I tell you what. So Roger Staubach, he was a great quarterback. And back in about 1971, they went to the World Championship, of course, at that time, and they won. And even as a quarterback, this guy didn't get to call his own plays. Uh, and some of those are that way now even as well. But he, he didn't get to call his own plays. And Coach Landry uh, sent in every play for him. And, and he told Staubach when to pass. He told him when to ride. And only in emergency situations was he allowed to go ahead and to call a play for himself. And if he called a play, it better be right or the coach was on his back. Uh, and that's just the way it was. And even though Staubach considered uh, Coach Landry to have a genius mind, for football strategy, kind of the pride in his heart was, I want to call the play plays, right? It's kind of what he wanted to do. But Staubach later said, he said, I, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, there was fulfillment, and there was victory. Uh, something that we need to get inside of our hearts in our minds as well, when it comes to following the Lord, we need to be able to yield ourselves to Him. And, and this was kind of the same thing for, for King David and for, the son, and for the Son of God Himself. Sacrificial obedience is powerful and life-changing. It's powerful and it's life-changing. So let's look uh, at the search for this new, for the new King David, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, it says this. So, so he, the prophet, asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have, right? He's supposed to be going to Jesse's house and figure out which one of his kids are supposed to be the next king. And so he said, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. He's probably thinking in his mind, why in the world would I bring the youngest here? What does he have to do with anything? And so he's out there with the sheep. And then Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said to him, to the prophet, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now, if you aren't careful here, it's going to be easy to kind of assume 
that, that uh, this David, because he was handsome, because he was healthy, and because he was, he was ready to go, right? He, he was ready. And, and so he had this fine appearance, all this outside stuff. So if you're not careful, you think, hey, this guy's all, got it all going together. So yeah, of course he's the one. Because it almost sets it up that way in that passage. But if you look back, you'll find out that God overlooked some of David's other brothers who were looking good too, right? They come from the same stock. They were all brothers. They, they probably looked the same. You know, probably none of them had a nose over here and an ear on their face. I don't know. But, but you know, here they are. And uh, so they look similar. But, but God was looking at something else. God was looking at the attitude of the heart. He's looking at the inside of that human being and he's, he's saying, hey, is that person willing to humble themselves before me? Attitude is where, we, where genuine obedience comes from. That's, that's the real deal right there. Attitude is where that comes from. And, and Saul had been a king and he was, he was forced into a resignation by God, right? Because he disobeyed God. He, he plainly did it. And, and so his days were numbered. And so why? Because he disobeyed God's direct orders. And because he was more concerned about what all the other people thought. And it doesn't mean he wasn't good or even a strong leader. He just wasn't willing to follow God to the next level. In fact, if you look at what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12, it says, God has, uh, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So, He had become about what, all the, about what he wanted personally. It was all about what he was going to get out of life or get out of that situation, right? And, and where was God in the mix of that? Where's God in this? You know, it's like, it's like he put God on the shelf. And, you know, we have to be careful. Because, see, sometimes in the Christmas season, too, like, you know, Christmas season, we go to get gifts. We go to do this. We have a party with these people, with those people. We enjoy things, you know. And, and sometimes it's so easy for us to get so focused on what we want and what we desire that we miss out on truth and we miss out on the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we have to be able to step back a little bit and, and understand that Jesus came onto this earth to, to save us from our sin. And so we don't want to run in that same direction like Saul did. We want to be more like David was as a man after God's own heart. And so we, we see it there. We see the problems. It's like Saul would tip his hat to God by making an offering. But he didn't follow the heart of what God wanted. I don't know if you can go read for, or read for yourself and jump in and read a little bit about Saul in some of these passages that I didn't share but are connected here. And you can kind of see how he did those kind of things. He tipped his hat to God and it's like, okay, yeah, I'll do that, God. Just, but, but after the fact, he wouldn't go all the way and follow the Lord completely. And so once he lost the anointing from God and he really went off the deep end. Really kind of a sad story there. But David was a little different. He became a, he became a strong and a solid leader. And he, and, he, and he had weaknesses like Saul, but there was a crucial thing that God wanted. That crucial thing that God wanted, especially in a king at that point, is he wanted someone who had God's interest in mind more than their own and or even more than what people wanted. 
So that can be challenging in this world that we live, right? Is everybody, you know, they, they, they want something, and so you may want to please them, but, but that's not always the way God works, right? He has a plan, he has a purpose, and he sees our lives for who we are, but he also sees us for who we can become in him. He loves us, and he wants the best for us. And so uh, David made some serious mistakes, we know. So if you know the scripture, you know that that guy made some mistakes. And, and that's a reality, but he was more concerned about what God thought of him and his decisions than what everybody else thought. So here's, here's an, a, a significant example uh, that, that uh, when David had uh, brought the Ark of the Covenant uh, through into the town uh, in, to set it into a special place, uh, and he, he's going to do this. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 13, it says this. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. See, something you have to recognize that the, the ark of the covenant, it was a symbol of God's presence, right? It was a symbol about God being with us. Now, we have something different, right? We don't need the Ark of the Covenant because uh, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, He seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so we have that, that promise or that presence of God within us as we follow Christ. But at this point, under the Old Covenant, it was different. And so now He's all excited, and they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. And then verse 14 says this, Wearing a linen ephod, which is kind of like a vest thing, uh, the, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, which is da uh, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. She didn't like it. And uh, so King, King David, he's all in, right? He's worshiping the Lord. He's excited. They're bringing uh, the Ark of the Covenant in, which represents the presence of God. And, and he wasn't simply a spectator. He wasn't simply a pew sitter. Uh, but he was the king of Israel and had the highest office in the land. And yet he was humbling himself there and, and dancing before the Lord, leaping and dancing before him. And, and it was, he was giving heartfelt honor to God. And it caused a problem with his wifey. It caused a problem there, didn't it? It caused a real issue. And so, you know, to, to be all in is to be devoted. It's to be devoted, to give your all to God. It doesn't mean you have to dance like David did with an ephod vest and covered in linen. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to do that. Sometimes people get too literal on some things. But, but, uh, uh, but we can dance before the Lord. But, but what we do from the heart matters. What comes from the heart matters. What, what comes out of the heart, what, what comes out of there, it matters. And are you giving from the heart and the mind? Are you, are you giving from the heart of your life? Uh, to be all in means you're setting other things aside. Are you setting other things aside to bring glory to God? And that reminds me of a guy at a church that we associate pastored for a while uh, he, he sat behind us, and I will not say his name, uh, and, but this, this fellow, he, uh, he loved the Lord. 
uh, great guy. He could not sing a lick. Uh, and he sat right behind us. But the interesting thing about this fellow uh, is he was, he was all in, and, and I know you. And, and that guy, he could, sit, he could uh, belt it out. I mean, out of tune, but he belted it out. And so, I mean, but he was serious about it. And he loved God, and, uh, and he worshiped the Lord. And uh, now he may have needed to make an adjustment where he sat so he didn't throw everybody else off on tune and stuff. Uh, uh, but I'll tell you what, that guy, he loved God and he shared his love towards God uh, in more than one way. He was all in, no matter what. Uh, he wasn't in just to, just to make noise and for people to see him. No, that's not the way he was. He, he was all in because that's why he sang as much as he did. Let's go back to David's wife here just a little bit. See, David's wife was Michael, right? She was his wife, and she had grown up in the king's house because she was Saul's daughter. And so she, she, is, she thought that she knew what was the proper form of public worship for a king because she grew up in the king's house. But she was being critical of, and as a true daughter of Saul, she was critical against her husband who was, who has now become king, and, uh, and so the sad thing was is she had gotten some important things wrong. She didn't understand some things. Saul did things like uh, many other people did, and he put himself ahead of God, right? And if we're not careful in our lives, we can put ourselves ahead of God, and that's the last thing we need to do. Uh, we need to be able to be, become, behind, we go by, follow behind him, right? We follow Christ. We don't, we don't lead Christ. We follow him. He's not, he's not our co-pilot. He is our pilot, right? He's the one that guides us. And we have to walk with him. And we need to make sure that we keep ourselves in the right place. Uh, and so, but now she, you know, here's uh, Michael. And she, she didn't like what had taken place at all, but... But she saw, she somehow saw how David was acting as negative, as a, as a, as a, a making himself lesser than everybody else. It may be the reason that Jesus had such a hard time with stiff religious crowd of his time is, as many were more constant, concerned about how they looked than giving real heartfelt worship to God. That's the last thing we want to be like, right? We want to be people who, who see, God, see God and see others from a different kind of mindset. We need to see him for who he is, and we need to love him and, and give our whole heart to him. Look at what happens after David finishes worshiping in such a way which appeared to be unfit for a king. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, it says this, When David returned home to bless his household... Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, Miss Sarcasm here. She says, How did the king of Israel how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and of his servants, as any vulgar or common fellow would. And then, uh, then it says in verse 21 there, it says, David said to Michael, It was before the Lord. And then he kind of gives a little jab there, right? He's, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of, over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate 
before the Lord. See, his purpose was to celebrate before the Lord. He, he was to worship the Lord. And then he says in verse 22, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slaves, girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Why? Because he's giving honor to God. He's respecting God for who he is. And, uh, what we kind of see here in this is that David must have dumped his royal robes. And remember, he's the king, uh, and he must have dumped the robes and only to have that linen ephod on, which would have been like a linen piece that the priests wore, uh, and, uh, and had that on. And then uh, also the fine linen clothes that were under the ephod, like the priests would have wore. You can get more info on it out of 1 Chronicles chapter 15. So it's not like he just had an ephod on. He, he had clothes on. It's just that he didn't have his robes and stuff on. And he did something which notab noticeably made him look like just regular people. <laughs> She's kind of mad. You're not a regular person. Why are you doing this? He's like, I realize that I'm a regular person in God's sight. I'm no different than anybody else, right? And he was, he was willing to humble himself. And so his wife, Michael, becomes sarcastic and says how he has distinguished himself to throw off his royal robes. And he, he must have appeared, it must have appeared humiliating to her. And so she's saying, now what's everybody going to say about us, Right? You could, just, you could just hear it. She's upset about it. But, but that wasn't David's focus. His focus was on what God thought. And see, for us, for you and I, our thoughts should be about what God thinks about us, what his perspective is of, of, of us. And he was, he was celebrating God's presence. Even though David had messed up earlier, he was willing to humble himself before God. And you can go back and read in these passages and kind of see how he messed up before uh, and, and so, but, but here he's humbling himself before God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it says this. The Lord said it. He said, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. See, there, there's another thing that we can glean from David over Saul's heart for worship. It was David, not Saul, who brought the ark into the capital. It was him who did that, and for David to worship the Lord was the most important part of life. And it comes down to this, putting God first in our lives. Putting God first in everything we do, in our job, uh, in, our, in our free time, and just everything that we do, putting him first because he is number one. Everything else is secondary. And think about him. He's the leader of the nation, right? And, and there, there's David, and he's got a lot of things he has to keep in mind. And everything else was secondary for him, including military power and good roads and politics and all that kind of stuff that's out there. He understood that everything they had was because of God's covenant with Abraham so many centuries before that. He understood how much, how important that covenant was between God and his people. And it should remind us as well that that covenant that God has with us through Christ is so important for us. That's more important than anything else that we have in this world. See, David's perspective can be found through the book of Psalms. We don't have the time to read all those, but here's a couple of them. In Psalms 119, verse 34 to 35, he says, Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. 
direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And then he said in Psalm 27, verse 1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We don't have anything to worry about. We don't have anything to fear or fret. And sure, things may happen in our lives and we say, God, how can this happen? What do we do here? And we have to trust that God has our best in mind. He has got our back. He knows where we're at. He cares. He has, knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows that. He cares for us. You know, David, he was, a, he was a brave and a strong human being, a leader based on his faith in God. And that's really where it came out of. It wasn't because he was a strong guy or a great guy. In fact, he had a lot of things that where he messed up and stuff, but we, we find this. But, uh, and it makes me think of this Judson, who was a, who was a missionary years gone by in uh, Myanmar, it used to be Burma. But one time he, was, he had been in prison for preaching the gospel and uh, there he is, he's in chains. He, said, he says that he had about 30 pounds of chains on his uh, ankles. And as they chained him up and put him around, uh, chained him to a bamboo pole. And, and he's there and there's another guy in there that for whatever reason, he was thrown into the can. And, and there they are together. And the other guy, he knows he's a preacher of the gospel. He knows Judson's a missionary. Uh, and so uh, he interacts with him a little bit, and he says something to him, and kind of sarcastically, maybe like Michael, David's wife, and says, Dr. Judson, what's the prospect of these people's conversion to faith? In other words, how's that going to happen now, buddy, now that you're stuck in here with me with 30 pounds of chain on your ankles? How's that going to happen? But Judson, he responds to him really fast, and he, and he says, the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. See, so he has a different perspective, friends. What kind of perspective do you have? Do you have the perspective that God's promises are yes and amen in the beloved? Are, are, do you have the perspective to know that God has your back? Do you have the, perspe pro, uh, the, the perspective to know that God is with you and he will not leave you? Do you have that perspective? Get that perspective. Keep that perspective. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you with that. We all need to make sure that we keep that perspective in our lives. Judson, like David, depended on God's promises. The truth was David was a, was a man after God's own heart. He, he sought to obey him, but Jesus, who was called the son of David, was much greater than David himself. In fact, we, we find this Messiah, the son of David, would be a suffering servant. Would be a suffering servant. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52 and verses uh, 13 and 14, he says this. He says, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were uh, appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form uh, marred beyond human likeness. He's, he's profound. He's prophesying, he's foretelling of what would happen with the Messiah. And we also find in the next chapter in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, where he prophesies these words in verse 3, he said, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom, 
from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. See, all of those words remind us of the truth. It reminds us of the truth. See, David was a man who sought hard after God and who who, uh, followed uh, his will. Jesus, the son of David, not only sought after the Father's will, but he fulfilled his will. He fulfilled it. And now it brings us to the part of hope. Not only is truth important in our life as we understand the good news of the gospel of Christ, but also the hope is important as well. And we see the Messiah will reign. And we know that's one of those things that's, that's coming. That some is coming, some is yet to come. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 to 10, the prophet Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, this makes a statement to us, knowing that as he entered into Jerusalem on that day before his crucifixion, it makes a statement. But in verse 10, it goes on to say this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't come on a war horse at his arrival. And although he arrived on that Christmas day so many years ago, we understood that he arrived in Jerusalem before his crucifixion, and he came in a humble setting. He came for a pure reign. He came on that donkey's colt. He came as a humble servant. Only when he returns will he come, as Revelation 19 says. And Revelation 19, verse 11 and verse 13 say this on the screen for you. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And in verse 13 he says, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The hope is, is he will return and bring evil to its knees. What he said he would do, he will do. What he said he would do under the old covenant, he did. And he still has more to come. But as we wrap this up this morning, so the Messiah, Jesus, came as the son of David. We understand he was the one whose reign is coming. Jesus, the son of God, came as the son of David. He humbled himself to arrive as a baby, as a child. And then he was willing to make sure we understood these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. He gave, us those, he gave us those words. We also understand that he was willing to say, say to God the Father, not my will but yours be done. But ultimately Jesus went to the cross for you and I. And it was there on the cross that he said these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And he was saying, Father, they don't get it. They don't understand. There's hope, though. 
there's hope in this and what Jesus has done for us. And because of what Jesus did and said for us, we find the Bible telling us a few things. One of those things that he said is this, that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then he goes on and says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's Romans 10. And this is your opportunity today. It's your opportunity to agree with God that he sent his son to pay for your sin by dying on the cross. And from there he rose from the grave so that you may have new life in Christ. You know, it's one thing to talk about Jesus. I remember growing up in a church as a youth and we talked about Jesus. I knew the things to say. I could say a lot of the stuff. But that didn't mean that's what I believed in my heart. Did I put my faith there? Did I believe he existed? Oh yeah, I believed he existed. I, I believed all those kind of things. But, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be to a point where we say, yes, Lord, I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. I believe what you have done for me is enough so that I could be forgiven and have a relationship with God. And there, Because there was one point in my life where all I did was run from him because I didn't want to have to do something that he wanted me to do, right? That's no different than what King, King, uh, uh, King Saul was. He, he didn't want to have to do what God wanted him to do. But I think for us, we have to make sure that we're willing to stop running and be willing to say, yes, Lord, I am going to follow you and I'm going to walk with you because I'm not going to run the other direction anymore. You don't have to run from him. But today we're going to pray, and as we pray, I want to challenge you to say, Lord, I'm not running anymore. I'm yours. Let your will be done in my life. Work in my life. Transform my heart and my mind. Let's pray this morning. Make that your prayer this morning. Father, we offer ourselves to you today. Father, we are so grateful that Jesus, you gave your life in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a right relationship with the Father. Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, and we are grateful, Lord, for what you've done for us. And Father, we choose to follow you. We choose to walk with you. We choose to set everything else aside, and we choose to be all in. We choose to be all in with everything we have. We choose to follow you and walk with you, Father God. And Father, I pray today that you would help every person in this place and online that are saying, you know what, I'm just in the, on the edge of that and I'm not sure. Father God, help them to, to jump out, to jump out into the deep and be able to say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna walk with you with everything I've got. Because I know that when, you, when we do that, Lord, you've got our backs. You're with us. Father, I pray that you would work in each one of us this morning. We yield our hearts to you, Lord, our minds to you, our lives to you, Lord, so that you can do what you want to do through us and in us, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to challenge you this morning. If you, if you prayed that prayer, whatever level it was, you say, God, I, I'm accepting what you've done for me. 
and I'm giving you my life. Tell somebody else. Tell a friend. Tell somebody you come with. Tell one of the pastoral staff. Say, I'm going to serve him and allow him to lead your life fully.